As we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to us and guide us, that we may live lives that honor you and are full of the joy that you have in store for those who belong to you. This we pray in Christ, our Redeemer, our King. Amen. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow once said, Great is the art of beginning, but greater still is the art of ending. And I've been thinking of that a lot, obviously, for the past several weeks, and believing that, I've given a lot of thought as to what I might want to say this morning. It's not a time to kind of break new ground and then make a run for, um, as tempting as that might be. And as tempting as it is, it's not really a time of reminiscing. There's plenty of time and there should be plenty of opportunity to do that, but this is a time that we're supposed to hear from God's Word. And so I've been giving a lot of thought as to what word would I want to give? What word would I want to last? If What word would I want you to think of when you think of me? And what word would I want you to think of and not think of me? And I couldn't think of anything better than what the Apostle Paul said simply in one verse as he opens his letter to the Philippians, a church, a people who he dearly loved. And Paul writes this in Philippians 1.27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in the faith in one spirit and with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I appreciate the way that New Testament scholar Moises Silva translates the beginning of this verse. He says the word, particularly with the word only, which is kind of a weird way to begin when you're focusing on a specific verse. It obviously indicates of a reference to everything that's gone before, and Paul speaking about his own circumstance and his relationship with the people. And so Silva says that the, the you know, legitimate translation is, is regardless of my circumstance, what really matters is that you behave as citizens of the kingdom of heaven in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ or as the NIV succinctly puts it, which I prefer, but I thought it'd be a little rude to change gears after 11 years using ESV to shift on it. But the ESV simply says, whatever happens, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever happens, regardless of the circumstances, the Apostle Paul is writing to these people uh, that he has a great affection for uh, from a prison cell in Rome. He obviously, by his words, doesn't know if he's going to see them again. In fact, as you read the words that are leading up to it, he doesn't know if he's ever getting out of jail. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. Even with that, though, Paul has an incredible joy, and he wants them to experience the joy that belongs to everybody who's in Jesus Christ. And so even when he's thinking about his own death, the possibility of death, the possibility of execution, he offers a beautiful wisdom, which is what to die is gain, to, to live is Christ. In other words, it, he says it's be better for me just to go and be with Jesus and 
put all the difficulties and the hardships and the challenges and the pain of this world behind me. That would be better. But if I'm going to live, I'm going to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. I'm going to live a life that is Christ living in me. I will live for Christ. Christ will live in me, and I will live for you. And Paul concludes, it says, I think it's probably better for you that I live. And so while he didn't necessarily control whether he lived or died, he had seemed to have some confidence that he was going to live. He was going to continue to live. And he was going to live, and his life was going to be for the betterment of the people who he loved. And so he's writing to them. And he's counsel to them. The way that he believes that they would live the most joyfully is if they live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you think about it, that's sort of a, a strange phrase. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. So what we normally want is instructions. We want to have these bullet points of what we're supposed to do. And Paul is telling them what they're supposed to do to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. But then the question is, well, what does it mean to be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if we don't know the answer to that question, then we have no idea of how we're going to live our lives in line with that, how we're going to live our lives in a manner worthy of that gospel. But in order to be able to answer the question, how do we live our lives worthy of the gospel, we actually need to answer a more fundamental question, was what is the gospel of which we are to live worthily? And that is a fundamental question. And it's one that we, no matter how well we know, we must constantly come back and remind ourselves of simply what that is. And simply put, the gospel is good news. That's what the word literally means, euangelion in the Greek. It means good news. As theologian Michael Horton has said, and you've heard me say, quoting him and sometimes ripping him off freely without quoting him, the gospel was good news, it's not good advice. And that distinction is vitally important for our understanding of what the gospel is, which enables us to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And we need to make that distinction because every one of us, no matter how well we know it, no matter how often we preach it, we have this predisposition to exchanging the truth of the good news into making it good advice, to change the news of the gospel that is the standard by which we are to live worthily into something that is about us or something that we are to do. And Paul, no matter who he's writing to, and Paul not alone, James more subtly, as we've seen in the weeks this fall, uh, John in, in very uh, relationally, Peter very passionately, every one of them speaks of the gospel, and the gospel is not a matter of opinion. It is the good news of what God has done to redeem a people for himself, reconciling them through the death and the resurrection of his son. The gospel is a theological proposition. The gospel is a declaration of an event that happened in history. And all of history, in all eternity, for you and for me and for all of the world, hinges on what happened in that moment. And Paul is saying, we are to live our lives worthy of that message. Now, one of the ways that we are to live worthy of that message is to make sure that we continue to remember that it is a message and that it is a distinct message 
and that the message is about Jesus Christ and it's not about us. It affects us, but it is not about us. It is about God and what he has done for you and for me, and as John says, for the world. Because God loved the world, he sent his own son to redeem a people so that whoever believes will not perish but will have everlasting life. That's where the gospel begins to creep a little bit because the gospel is the good news of what God has done in his son, but it impacts us. It benefits us. It benefits everyone who believes. Anyone who believes is pardoned of their sin, is reconciled with God, is declared righteous before God by his standard, and experiences life eternal, beginning now, extending forever. And so we need to be clear what the gospel is and Paul's saying, though, that there, there's more to that. We live worthy of the gospel when, first and foremost, we remind ourselves over and over and over again what the gospel is, so that we are very clear when we are tempted by what the gospel is not. Because there's many substitutes that are out there. Trevin Wax, an author, uh, calls them the counterfeit gospels. And sometimes they're not just alternate gospels, but they are kind of like supplements to the gospel. You know, there's the gospel plus. And we have an activism gospel where we believe that we are good and we measure ourselves as being good and God must be pleased with us because of the number of things that we do. Whether they are for the sake of the kingdom through global mission and evangelism, whether the sake of the poor or the people and the outcasts around us through ministries of mercy and of compassion, whether they are for the sake of the culture as a whole or a particular party of politics that you align yourself with in which we actively involve so that People will live the right way based on whatever rules we put in place. All of those are very good things, but none of them, not only are they not substitutes for the gospel, they are not supplements for the gospel, and they are not the gospel. But we are tempted to believe that somehow the gospel is about what we do, the gospel counterfeit of activism. On the other side, there are those that are guilty of the gospel pacifism. saying, well, clearly I want to stay away from that idea that I'll kid myself in thinking about gospel activism. So the only thing that gospel really matters is what God is going to do in me and what he's done for me. And while that seems to be a faithfulness to the gospel, it misses the point that Paul also tells us in Romans that the gospel is a power. And we're going to see even in this particular passage, the gospel is a power that does something that propels us. to live our lives for something other than ourselves. And so the idea of just the, the passivity and just making sure that I am spiritually uh, in tune with God and, and growing in grace, as important as that is, that is also a truncated idea of the gospel. It is not the gospel itself. It, it actually makes a subtle form of making myself the center of the gospel. You have a moralist gospel, which believes that 
You know, the primary purpose of Jesus, he came and he set us free because of a sin and he set the example for us. And now, as long as we live according to his standards, that's what makes us good people. And then before long, we begin to assume the gospel. And we just focus on our behavior, whether we're meeting the standards or not. And the gospel is nice to have there if we need it. But in our calculations, we usually count out on the high end of the score. And so most of us don't need it. Very often, the gospel gets relegated to be an Aflac policy. And because these are just subtle tendencies that every one of us has, it's vitally important that we not only know, but we remind ourselves of what that gospel truly is. The gospel is about Jesus and what he has done for us. Period. But we also live worthy of the gospel when we not just remember what it is, but we uh, remind ourselves of how we relate to the gospel. Because the gospel is benefit. It is good news to us. It is good news for us. It's just not good news about us. And we relate to the gospel in a very simple way. By believing and by repenting. Repenting and believing. You see, the gospel has declared us not guilty, but the fact is every one of us still has these struggles. We still have the challenges that are within us, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And so there's this need for us to see our lives. And it's only when we see this need is the good news actually good news. Otherwise, it's just nice news. Somebody cared enough and gave his life for me. I'm glad he, glad he rose again. You know, that's good. But it's only when I recognize that because of my sin and what God thinks of sin and what God does to sin and that there's nothing that I can do for myself. I mean, I'm hopeless. No matter how much I try, there's nothing I can do. I am destined to be an enemy of God and God will pour his wrath out on sin. When I remember that, and then I hear that there was one who died for me who took upon himself all of my sin. That simply by acknowledging my sin and believing and receiving the gift that he's given to me, that the wrath is already poured out. It is not poured on me. It, it has reconciled me to the one whom I have offended. then it becomes good news. And so we have to remember foundationally what the gospel is, how we relate to that gospel. But then what Paul says is we live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. That has to be found that those are not just prerequisites. Those are constant. But there's a clear implication here that it, the gospel then has an impact on the way we live our lives. That's why I think that the translation that says that live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven is, is legitimate because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have not only been pardoned of your sin and forgiven and can come into the presence of God, you are now citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And essentially what Paul is saying is in encouraging, not in, a, not in a challenging way, but in an encouraging way, then live like it. 
Regardless of the circumstances that are going on around you, whether they are difficult and hard, uh, as one commentator put, the, these people as that Paul is writing to had very little reason to feel joy about a whole lot of anything. Paul, their spiritual leader, is in prison and may die. Another one of their spiritual leaders has been arrested multiple times. They're experiencing rejection and persecution. And Paul is saying, well, you should be rejoice. And the reason he's saying that is not because the circumstances themselves are good, but because they are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. They are aligned. They belong to the one who has created all things and who ultimately does win. And so no matter what it looks like on the front, uh, in front of you, beyond the storm front, there is a peace. There is something that is glorious. And that is something that they are promised. And because they have that promise, Paul is reminding them, live as if that's true. Live as if you know you have the future. Live as if you know you are already on the winning team. He's pointing them to the hope that is greater than any of their circumstances. The promise that prevails. But as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, they're supposed to live with particular standards as well. And this is where we see a lot of confusion in the church, which is the whole idea of the relationship between the law and the gospel. Because one of the counterfeits of the gospel is that the gospel, well, I'm free, so now it doesn't really matter how I live. Except you don't see any of those New Testament writers saying that. Our sins themselves that we fall into, or even that we run into, they do not condemn us. But we see every one of the writers saying that in light of the love of God, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. In other words, the love of Jesus that lives for the benefit of other people, the love for Jesus that was willing to give fully of self. And, and Paul goes on in the following verses here. This is verse 27 is, is really kind of the prelude to what most people think of when they think of the letter to the Philippians which is that wonderful hymn, have this mind among yourselves about the attitude of Christ. And Paul is saying that this is the way that we are to live. We live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. When we remember what the gospel is, when we are continually reconnecting ourselves, relating to the gospel, and then are propelled by that gospel to live lives in light of the promises of God and the power of God that is within us, that is both cleansing us and propelling us to live our lives for other people. And the Apostle Paul says that live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, and this is living worthy of the gospel. And he goes on, even in this, this one simple verse, he says this, and so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may have hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so there is power of God that is at work within his people through being connected to that gospel. Because the gospel doesn't just cleanse us, but the gospel knits a people together and forms a community. It, it forms a, a oneness. Now, living worthy of the gospel is letting the gospel shape us as we all are being conformed to that one message, that one truth, that one standard, becoming more and more like Christ. Well, then that inevitably makes us connected more and more to one another. 
Oftentimes when the gospel is assumed, may be valued, but it is not center and it is not the shaping influence. You might have people that would talk about the unity. We need to get along, and, we, and Paul deals with getting along, even in this letter. We need to seek peace, but remembering in the prophets talk about there's peace, peace when there is no peace. In other words, it's not a matter of coming together and melting, melding our minds and coming to some consensus. It's constantly looking at the focus of the message of the gospel. And as we are being conformed to that, we are, by the power of God, being knit together. Our oneness is not our achievement. Hindrance to oneness may be our fault. But the achievement is God when we are focused on the singular message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then as the one community that is focused on the one message, Paul says the inevitable thing is that one community, because the gospel is a message to them, then is declared. People are striving or they are contending together for the faith. In other words, continuously trying to remind one another to purify themselves from all of the pollutions that we try to add into the gospel message or the the muck that's in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives and continually being transformed and refined and, and renewed by the gospel, being brought together as we stand to be clear about what that gospel message is and remind one another of it, preaching it to ourselves and preaching it to one another. Not only are we brought together, but we are then contending for the faith. And it's interesting that Paul talks about it being the faith because the gospel is the only thing that makes anything distinctly Christian. The moral code of Christianity, wonderful as it is, is not significantly different than other religions. It is not the moral code or even the Ten Commandments that makes us Christians. It is the gospel that makes somebody a Christian. And it is the gospel that empowers us to live the standard that God has called us to. And it is the gospel that cleanses us when we fail to live that standard. But we're being knit together. We are continuing by being knit together by the message of the gospel, contending to for the faith to make sure that We're clear what the faith is. But the implication is the advancement of the kingdom as well. Because whether it's people overhearing us celebrating the good news of the gospel or whether it's people being in relationship with us and we share the reason for the hope that we have with them and they in their own need and brokenness looking for something to give them meaning in life, to reconcile them to God, whether they even know that there is a God or not. It is the gospel message that is going to bring people from death to life and bring them into the body, become part of that oneness and in union with Christ. And so there's implications for the way we live as well. And we cannot, it's vitally important we understand, we cannot just move, we don't skip a grade. We don't just move to the advancing the kingdom Because other than that, we're just simply advancing our own agendas, even if it seems to be in line with the sake of the kingdom. But as we are ourselves living worthy of the gospel, which is reminding ourselves of the gospel, relating to the gospel, then living out the implications of the gospel, then we are being united with others. We are purifying the faith, or we are making sure that the faith is not getting polluted. And then we are advancing the faith even as we live in this way, because the work of God, the power of God is at work within his people, with his church. And then he propels the church to the people who are around, 
to love as they have been loved. This is what Paul wants for the, for the, for the Philippians. And he says, you know, whether I ever see you again or not, this is what I want for you. This will be the key to the joy that you long for. This will be key for the purpose that you need to have in your lives. This is the purpose for which God has called you. So whether I see you or I only hear that you're doing this, this will bring me great joy. And so if you remember nothing else that I ever said, I hope you'll remember these words that I'm stealing from the apostle. Whatever happens, in good times or bad, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you all see you after today. It'd be nice to thank everyone, but that's not realistic. Time moves quickly, and as I hit a certain age, I realize the rearview mirror is really, really fast. And some of you are a couple uh, cars ahead of me. So whether you don't have time or I don't have time, time moves fast. But know this, nothing would bring me greater joy as I think of this church than to hear that you are living your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But far more important than whether it brings me happiness or joy is that nothing will honor Jesus more than his people living their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks to you this day for the simple encouragement that these words from the apostle give to us. They guide us. They root us. They knit us. They comfort us. And I pray, Lord, that you would impress them upon our minds and that that would filter down into our hearts. That as a people, individually and corporately, we would recognize the importance of these words and embrace them. But as individuals and as a church, we would then consider ways in which we are sometimes just playing with them. And sometimes ignoring and looking over our shoulders, pretending. Pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to recognize the ways in which this is hard for us. But then turn our attention again to the beautiful message of Christ crucified and resurrected, where we are not only forgiven, we are renewed and we are empowered. That we would worship you with both lives and words. For Lord, you are worthy. This I pray in Christ. Amen.